So with this morning's um, Bushnell piece in mind, I'm going to read from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Well, this uh, week we... lost a queen, a queen who had served 70 years, I think, right? That's a long time, a wonderful life of service. Throughout her, you know, long life, it's amazing, but uh, she came to an end, she passed. And so, of course, as you watch that on television and you, you know, heard uh, King Charles' speech, and how, you know, conflicted he was with emotions, makes sense. Thanks and gratitude for what his mother had done, happiness about that, but also tears. And so, you know, that's an example of the conflicting emotions and responses that we often live with. So, paradox. Paradox in our faith, questions that we hold up. You know, it's not always super clear exactly what is going on, right? So I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves. And so here we have the good news gospel. Paradox seems contradictory, but is true. So that's what we're going to start with. And we see the... We can get that going. Nada. Sorry, man. Shadows are whiz up here. His fingers are just going crazy. <laughs> no? No? All right. Not a worry. So we come to a wedding, all right? So it's Cana. We just heard the scriptures read, John chapter 2. Uh, if we get to it, I have a map of where Cana is. Cana is right in the middle of uh, 
Galilee. Jesus is from Galilee. Jesus is from a town called Nazareth. And Nazareth is just a little, small community uh, in the middle of the province of Galilee. As I've mentioned before, it's not even named in the Old Testament. It's just a very little place, probably a couple hundred people. And Cana was another small townish, north, maybe 10 miles or so. And there is a wedding uh, in, in this town of Cana. And so Jesus and his disciples are invited to go to the wedding, and it's interesting that uh, his mother Mary is involved. Mary is only mentioned twice in the entire Gospel of John here, and then also at the foot of the cross, which we can make connections to later. Um, and she seems to be involved in the catering process. So that would suggest that... Uh, this family, or one of the families that are getting married, Mary and Christ's family, they know these people pretty well. In fact, it could even be the child of Mary's sister, because she's often mentioned the other Mary uh, throughout the Gospels. So it could be that Mary is helping her sister with her child's wedding, her son or daughter's wedding. That's the kind of picture that, that we have. So it's an exciting time, right? It's a time, weddings are times of excitement. And in the Jewish time, in the first century, weddings would go on for a week. So they were week-long festivities. And it was really the whole village would be involved. So it would be like, you know, if we had a wedding here and absolutely everybody in the church was, was engaged and it went, are we good? No? Okay. It, it, it goes for the entire week, right? People are coming and going. They're coming from distances and so on. Here they are, this long week full of celebration and festivities. I don't know. Can you relate to that? week-long celebration of some sort, might be a wedding, might be something else, family gathering, whole week long. A few years back, well, more than a few years back, my brother actually and, and Marion um, decided to redo their wedding. And so it was 25 years and they were redoing it. And I actually had married them the first time. But um, anyway, as it came up, so they had this gathering, it was in Manitoba, and I forget the reasons, but I couldn't actually go. I regret that now, put that right out there, if my brother's listening, I've told him that, I do regret that I did not make that. It was a faux pas on my end. Rebecca and Simon, I believe, and the family went out in our place. Anyway, bad scene. We should have all been there celebrating in Brandon for this time. Another one of my goofs. I've made many. We had a reunion a few, oh, last year, I think, with the group that I used to be singing with. In fact, I led the group called The Times. They sounded pretty good. We sounded pretty good. Anyway, we got together after, I don't know, how many years? 50 years almost, right? I don't even know if I wanted to go to this 
Bruce, you know, celebration. But I ended up going. And once I got there, I thought, hey, this is cool. This is kind of fun. And then we started doing memories, right, of things that we had done. And about three or four memories were faux pas on my end. So we did, we did an album, okay? We did an album. It was a good album. And it came to light that the cover that I had chosen, everybody in the rest of the band hated the cover. For whatever, because, you know, I tried to do something arty with it, and they didn't like it. They wanted just a picture of the group, which I should have done. So i sorry about that, guys, right? And it kind of went on and on like that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Woo! So all I'm saying by that is we, we have these gatherings. Do we want to go or not, right? But this was a close family, and so they're all there, right? So they're, I would say they're having a good time. So that's the setting in Cana, a wedding celebration. Normally, weddings like that are pretty happy, right? Everybody's pretty happy. They're having a good time. And then there's a turn in the story, and the turn in the story is they run out of wine. Now, we might say, well, that's not really a big deal. You run out of wine, you run out of wine. You remember that the water isn't always drinkable, so they drink wine. It's interesting in Bolivia, even in the Baptist communities, when I go down there and we celebrate communion, they, they drink red wine, real red wine. That's what they drink because the, wine, the water is generally not that safe. So that's what they do. And, you know, up here we might not do that. They do it. So on Jesus' day, they're drinking the wine, and they run out of wine. The challenge with that, of course, is that people are coming throughout the whole week, and it's, 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 a, it's supposed to be festive. And so the family is supposed to greet people. It should be an encouraging, positive time. And now they've run out. Why they've run out, we don't know. Maybe more people came than they thought. Anyway, Mary comes to Jesus. The point of this is a crisis. Wedding is fun. But now all of a sudden, hey, way to go, you guys. Excellent. Let's go back to the map. Let me go see. I love this map. You've got to see the map. Woo! Look at that. Perfect. You see Galilee, big there in the middle, and Nazareth towards the bottom a little bit. And then Cana is up, sort of right in the middle of Galilee. So that's, that's what's going on. They're, they're right there. Close enough. Maybe her sister lives out there. That's where the wedding is. Okay. So now, so there's a celebration, but there's a crisis. And the crisis, they've run out of wine. It seems to have impacted Mary particularly. So she goes to Jesus and says, uh, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' response, you can read it, is it seems like a bit, a little bit curt. And his response is, well, what is that to me? My hour has not come. But then the mom says to the stewards, just do whatever he says. So she's pretty confident that he's going to do something, right? Even though his statement is, well, what is that to me? He's drawn into it. You, so my point is, there's probably a fair amount of tears that are going on at this point, too. Maybe Mary's sister is crying. Maybe the bride is crying. Maybe the groom is crying. I don't know. Maybe the parents of whoever, the groom. There's tension going on. And weddings often have that, right? Weddings often have a mixture of joy and a little bit of sorrow. And my 
observation, there's often a bit of tension between the bride and the mom. Not that that ever happened in my situations. <laughs> but you recognize that. There can be tension, right? So there we go, a crisis. Interesting, and in the Chinese language, the word for crisis has a couple of different symbols, and one of the symbols is opportunity. So the crisis does become an opportunity. We don't know if Jesus' plan was to change the water into wine. It doesn't seem to be. What is that to me? My hour has not come. That word, hour, actually points ultimately to his, to his death and resurrection. It, it stands for his entire ministry. My hour has not yet come. But in the moment, Jesus seems to respond, and he's going to do something about it, which launches, really, his ministry further in development, because we find out later that the, the disciples are really impressed by all of this, and they, and they believe, we are told. They believe more. They have faith in what happens. So the crisis becomes an opportunity. The water, the, you know, the wine has run out. Now, now what do we do? And, and, you know, and I think in our own lives that can well be the case. The, the things, things that, that go challenging can ultimately become an opportunity. Here in the church, you know, you've heard all about we've had tensions over at front lines in the last 18 months or 24 months. And, you know, they want to kind of go their own way, so they did. I mean, and they're doing great work. But ultimately, that was, that was tense for everybody, tense for the whole church family, tense for the leadership. But, I mean, ultimately, what happens? Front lines is sold. Money comes into the church. There's a new opportunity and all that. That's, that's the opportunity idea. Things happen, and it happens in our own lives as well. Things happen. We don't really like it, but hey, maybe. And so Jesus seems to decide, okay, I can work with this. And, and he acts, and now we have the miracle. And so if we carry on a little bit, I'll get my little clicker here. Thanks for figuring that out. Jesus says, hey, there are some stone jars. That's kind of the jars that they were. Big jars, those are big, hold about 30 gallons of water or wine. These actually come from Cana, may well have been, I doubt if it, they were the, the actual stone jars, but they're like that, and they might have been. They come from that source, from an archaeological site. Jesus says, fill those stone, six stone jars, big jars, fill them with water, and then dip into it and take it to the steward. And you know the story, the steward does that, or the servant, to the main steward, and the steward says, hey, this wine is amazing, you've actually saved the good wine, the new wine, the best wine, until the very end, which doesn't seem to have been the practice. So Jesus acts. We can be encouraged by that reality. In John, we see a lot of water references. You can see that there. We also see wine in Scripture. I like the statement from Amos. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows shall overtake the one who reaps. 
and the treader of grapes, the one who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. The point being is that this new wine is associated with the Messiah. That's how the Old Testament presents it, this new sweet wine associated with the Messiah who will come. And so Jesus decides to link this miracle with his own ministry and his disciples grow in faith through the changing of the water into wine. The quality is amazing. We've already heard that, but there's also the quantity. Quantity, there's an abundance of wine. Six jars, 30 gallons each, that's a lot of wine. That will get them through the rest of the week. Quality and quantity, Jesus initiates a new era in the history of Israel. The Messiah comes. So the, the miracle is pointing that way. It's pretty powerful. I mentioned John 1 when we started, the word as the Logos. A medieval writer has this little line, the water recognized its creator and blushed. I like that. The water recognized its creator and blushed. Jesus is the Logos. The Christ is the Logos, the word. Creation comes through him. So the water recognizes that and blushes. That's the idea. So we have a wedding, we have a crisis, and then we have a miracle. And the miracle is the water changing into wine. So then, what does that mean for us? Well, John ends this statement with this, this words, these sets of words. Jesus did this the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus did this, the first of his signs. In the Gospel of John, there are seven signs. This is the first. Seven signs fall in the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John. This is the first one in Canada, in Cana, sorry, and it reveals his glory. You deserve it all. We sang, we, we praise God because of his glory. So the glory is the presence of God in Christ. The presence of God in this individual. And the disciples look at the individual and they recognize his glory. The presence of God. Listen to um, this statement here. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses out of the cloud and now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses is on top of the mountain, and God's glory descends. Jesus changes the water into wine, and at least the disciples see God's glory in Christ. And sometimes we can see glory, I think, in people. Moms see a little baby, right? The glory, that reality. Cousin of mine out west just had a baby, and the baby's beautiful. You look at that baby, woo! Glory. Seriously, like it's just so glorious. And I'm sure the babe looks at the mom and feels like glory, my mom. Who loves who more? The mom loves the baby or the baby loves the mom? So they see glory. And so John emphasizes that. The, the first, first sign, sign 
shows the glory of Christ. And in the Gospel of John, the glory is connected ultimately to the cross. The seventh sign, finally, is the resurrection of Lazarus by Christ, points to the cross. Who's at the foot of the cross? Mary. So the first sign is Jesus and Mary. And the seventh sign, really, is Jesus and Mary again. Glory. Both show glory. God's glory. So that's what happens in this miracle. So there's a lot going on in this wedding in Cana from John's perspective when he writes the Gospel of John. So having said all that, what does that mean for us? Where are we at it? Let me go here. Giving of self bestows life. Jesus gives himself. It's ultimately what happens, right? In fact, we're told that the jars are for the purification of the people who come to the wedding. And of course, Christ ultimately is the one who provides for our purification. Tears and happiness fill the cup. So that's the paradox. Two years of COVID. How many tears did you have in COVID? Lots, eh? Probably some laughter. I found COVID really quite hard. I found it hard here. Because oftentimes I'd be here and I'd be the only one here. I'm just saying, that's the way it was. And, I, you know, I just found it like, wow, this is challenging. So we all have experienced that in our own way. Tears and happiness. And the invitation for us, I think, as we come to this theme of paradox, is that we are called and invited to drink the entire cup that we have. You are called to drink the cup of your life, which is the cup of happiness and also the cup of sadness. The cup of laughter and the cup of tears. You have to drink it all. I have to drink it all too. Should have gone to a wedding. Disappointed my brother. Sadness. You have to drink that up. I have to drink it. It's part of my life. And the invitation, and I think the challenge is, is we're quick to drink all the good stuff. We don't really want to drink the bad stuff. But your cup is what your whole cup. See what I mean? And I think ultimately we are called to drink whatever that cup is and to drink it finally with gratitude. Wow. With thanks. To say this is the cup that you have given me and I drink it. All up. Because I could not even have life. I could be a stone that's sitting on the beach. That could be me. You never experienced nada. So will we drink the cup of our lives? Will we drink the happiness? Will we drink the sadness? Will we give thanks? All the paradox of all of that. Will you do that? Will I do that? I think that's, 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 that's part of the invitation here. It could take us a long time to get to that, right? We're angry. We're uptight. We're bitter. We're sad over stuff. And we can spend our whole lives being sad about whatever it is and never finally drink the cup that we are called to drink.
The final point being that we are to recognize the sadness, but we're not to be overwhelmed by it. We're not to be paralyzed by it. We're not to sit in that point and just get stuck. That won't help us. Real sad things happen. How many sad things are happening in the Ukraine and Russia right now? I remember meeting a dear woman uh, in my first at Royal York years and years ago. And a chap in my church had friends of an older Jewish couple who had gone through the Holocaust. And the woman, the mom, the woman of this couple, her entire family was killed in the Holocaust. Imagine that. The guy had, over the years, been able to somehow work that through. The woman never could, ever. She was in her middle 80s at that point and was still very angry and bitter and was mad at me because I was a Christian. And she saw all of that happening by Christians. Germany was Christian. But from me observing the situation, it just was sad. It was very sad because the woman was just totally stuck. And we might think, well, if that happened to me, I'd be stuck too. But nevertheless, she was stuck and her husband somehow was able to go through it. So you and I are invited to drink our cup. Beth's leg is messed up right now. Getting better, I think. But nevertheless, it's there. So, you know, she has to drink that cup. I, we as a family have to drink it. Your illnesses and your families. Finally, you have to drink it. And trust and depend and, and lean, lean on, on what? Lean on the light within that situation, not be stuck, not be paralyzed, but see the sparks of light that will come out, will change, new things will happen. That's the invitation for us. We pass through it, we observe it, but we don't get stuck in it. And that's what we see in this little miracle. And Jesus does his full pivot. Well, I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it now. And he does it, and he makes something of it. And so our invitation is to hear whatever that mix of tears and happiness for you is, right? I don't know what that is for you. But I bet you it's there at some level. And you have to drink it up. I have to drink up mine with a thankful heart. Receive it all from the Creator. Give it back. Hopefully we can do that. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat>